It's pretty sweet walk-up music too, you know. Uh, thanks, Billy and crew. North Wake has our own Mr. Rogers. How cool is that? Sweater and everything. A millennial Mr. Rogers. Beard, sweater. Anyway, uh, again, welcome this morning. So glad that you're here. It's good, it's good to be with you all. Uh, we've been looking at the book of Mark together. We're going to be in Mark chapter 6 today. And so if you have a Bible, want to turn there, that would be great. And remember, Mark is trying to help us answer a key question all through his gospel, all through this book. And that question is, who is this man? Jesus. Who is he? Uh, a couple of years ago, I had a, a delightful conversation over coffee with a Muslim gentleman. And at some point in the conversation, uh, he said, Jesus himself never actually claimed to be God, even in the, in the Bible. So why would you say, why would you try to convince me, you know, that he is God or that he's God's son? And you'll hear this even in many university religion classes today, that Jesus never claimed to be God. Uh, so I encouraged him to read the Gospels uh, a bit more carefully because they do on occasion have Jesus claiming to be God. But more often than that, and honestly, on just about every page of every Gospel, they have Jesus showing that he is God. Uh, doing things that like only God would do or could do. Doing things that only God had done in the history of Israel. So Mark has been showing us throughout his gospel so far more and more of Jesus' true identity. Uh, for several chapters, he's been at this, uh, showing Jesus forgiving sins, power over demons, raising the dead, healing the sick, feeding hungry multitudes in the wilderness. Uh, but even his own disciples have not yet put the puzzle pieces together. And so Jesus continues to reveal himself to these disciples to, to help them put the puzzle pieces in place. Kind of like when your parent put the corner pieces for you in place to teach you how to put a puzzle together. That's what Jesus is doing for them. And by showing them and us that he is God, Jesus is also showing us God. Who he is, what he's really like in a way that no other religious leader or teacher could claim to do. Because if he is God and he can show that, then he would be the leading authority on God, right? So let's pick it up in Mark chapter six, verse 45. It says, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land. And when he saw that they were making headway painfully, or he saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. Now remember from our last chapter, uh, Jesus has been trying to get away and go pray for quite some time, but there's several interruptions along the way. There's a crowd of people that wanted to hear him. And so he stays and he teaches them and he feeds them. But finally, after that's all over, he gets back on track and he goes into solitude to pray. And he sends his disciples away in the boat, telling them that he'll meet them, he'll meet up with them, you know, in Bethsaida, and, and they obey. But it's not easy going for them. It says they're making headway painfully. Uh, some of your other translations will read, they were straining at the oars or they were battered by the wind. 
Uh, the phrase he uses is a word that's sometimes used to describe the torment of labor contractions. Happy Father's Day, everyone. And so this is like, this is rough going for the disciples, okay? They're tormented. And the poor guys are just trying to do what Jesus told them to do. Right, go this way. So their obedience leads them to, to this hardship. Anyway, verse 48, and he saw that they were making headway painfully, tormentingly so, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. And he meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Okay, so what is Jesus, what's he up to here? What does it mean that he meant to pass by them? <laughs> okay, read that, it seems a bit confusing. Like, is he messing with them? You know, is he just gonna walk to Bethsaida across the water and he's trying to kind of sneak by the disciples, but then they see him and he's like, oh, you guys weren't supposed to see that. You know, at which point he holds his nose and just goes underwater and you never saw that. You know, or is it like he's walking past them? He's like, on your left, you know, moving on by and they're like, whoa. Uh, and he's like, man, you guys seem to be having a bit of trouble over here today. Uh, too bad you can't walk on water like me. No, um, I, don't, I don't think so. Uh, the odd phrasing, he meant to pass by them, uh, should be understood like he purposefully or intentionally passed by them. As in, he wanted them to see him. This was not an accident and he wasn't headed somewhere else. Okay, I mean, just notice from the passage, it says that he already saw that they were making headway painfully. So I don't think it's likely that he was just nonchalantly strolling by watching them collapse from exhaustion. And besides, it says that he came to them walking on the sea. He came to them. It's not arbitrary, accidental, just like strolling on by. Uh, but most importantly, I think Mark is trying to clue us into something when he tells us that Jesus intended to pass by them. Uh, this phrase, to pass by, it's used in the Old Testament of God when on critical occasions, he would reveal himself to his people. I mean, uh, do you remember the story of Moses? When Moses goes up on the mountain of God and asks God, show me your glory and God responds back to him. He says, okay, I'm gonna make all my goodness pass by you and I'll proclaim before you my name, the Lord, but you cannot see my face and live. And then God tells Moses, look, there's this place in a rock where I'm gonna hide you and cover you and while my glory passes by, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock. I'll cover you with my hand until I have passed by then I will take away my hand and you will see my back but not my face and then it says the Lord passed by in front of Moses you can read about this in Exodus 33 and 34 uh, or when the prophet Elijah runs for his life and goes to the mountain of God in first Kings chapter 19 he comes to a cave where it says the Lord passes by Elijah, reveals his power. Remember the fire and the wind and then the still small voice. So when Mark tells us that Jesus intended to pass them by, I take it to mean that he 
was passing by his disciples to reveal his glory. Not as an accident, to reveal his glory just as he did to his people of old. But the disciples don't get it, not at first. They think him to be a ghost. So why walk on water? Right? Why stroll up to them on the water? Why choose this way to be the way that he shows his glory? Again, I don't think this was just uh, an arbitrary parlor trick, you know, or hey, you know, it'd be cool is if I walk on water, then I bet they will believe I'm the son of God, right? I, because there's a whole slew of Old Testament verses in the Psalms, in Isaiah, about the Lord's power over the sea, that the Lord is the one who controls the waves of the sea. You can read about this in places like Psalm 77, Psalm 93, Isaiah 43, later if, if you like. There's one place in particular I wanna show you uh, in the book of Job that seems hard to ignore when you read this passage in Job and then you read the story in Mark. Uh, there's a bit of overlap here. So you remember the story of Job, right? Uh, Job who's faithful to God and then he loses like everything. He loses his children, he loses his health, he loses his livelihood and so much of the book of Job uh, is Job reeling in pain from his loss, crying out to God, not understanding why God has let all this happen to him even when he's been faithful. So in Job chapter nine, Job cries out in this way. Uh, it says, then Job answered and said, truly I know that it is so, but how can a man be in the right before God? If one wished to contend with him, one could not answer him once in a thousand times. He's wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who has hardened himself against him and succeeded? He who removes mountains and they know it not when he overturns them in his anger, who shakes the earth out of its place and its pillars tremble, who commands the sun and it does not rise, who seals up the stars, who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled on the waves of the sea. Who made the bear and Orion, the Pleiades and the chambers of the south? Who does great things beyond searching out, marvelous things beyond number? Behold, he passes by me and I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive him. You know, he alone stretched out the heavens. He alone could trample on the waves of the sea. But when he passes by me, I don't see him. When he moves by me, I don't perceive him. And do you hear what Job's saying as he cries out? Perhaps you felt this way at times. You would say, I know God's up there. I know he's all powerful. I know he rules over everything, but I don't know what he's up to in my life. I don't understand his motives for why he does what he does. I don't understand why I'm facing what I'm facing. I don't even know if he's listening or if he cares when he passes by me and God does his thing. I don't see him. But now, Jesus passes by and it's different. He treads upon the waves of the sea, but the disciples can see him. Jesus came to make the invisible visible, the unknowable knowable, the untouchable touchable. He passes by and he can be seen. He can be touched. The glory of God whose face could not be seen can now be seen in the face of Jesus Christ, as Paul would put it in 2 Corinthians 4. You see, he passed by them on purpose. He wanted to show his glory. 
but the disciples don't get it. How do they respond, <laughs> right? They see this obscure figure uh, walking up on the water and they just lose it, right? They're petrified. Can't say I blame them. You know, it's 5 a.m., you're in the middle of a lake and a shadowy figure starts uh, uh, walking towards you. You know, th- no thanks, right? And so Jesus calls out to them. Uh, he speaks to them and he says, take heart it's me don't be afraid you see even the presence of God among them was a terror to them until they heard Jesus voice and saw his face until the disciples knew Jesus to be the one who was walking on the waves I mean I guess they had every reason to be afraid there's this phantom this ghost that's walking up on me but once they know it's him He calms them. He says, it's me. It's me. You know me. You know who I am. You know what I'm like. You see, the wonderful power of God instilled fear. But the word, the person of God, Jesus Christ, gave peace. Do you see what this means? If you know God to be who he shows himself to be in the person of Jesus, he will be to you an immeasurable comfort and a safe place in every storm. But if you do not know God as Jesus, he'll be to you a haunting ghost and a fearful phantom. Uh, I mean, I've talked with, with many, many people who say, you know, I believe that there's a God or some sort of higher being or spiritual force uh, in the world out there that created everything, uh, but I'm not sure. And I definitely don't believe in the God of the Bible or that Jesus was God or anything very specific like that. But you know, at the end of the day, what a horrifying prospect. Perhaps, There's some all-powerful force out there that created you and you're just hoping that it turns out in the end to be benevolent or doesn't take much interest in you or your life. That view of God will haunt your dreams and always leave you unsure and anxious of where you stand with it. If God is unknowable, as many people would say he is, we just can't know him. If God is unknowable, You have every good reason to be afraid, to be petrified. Uh, Martin Luther wrote, we were totally unable to come to a recognition of the Father's favor and grace, except through the Lord Christ, who is the mirroring image of the Father's heart. Without Christ, we see nothing in God but an angry and terrible judge. So how how do we know How do we know that the heart of God is the heart of a loving and perfect father? Well, it's because the son has passed us by and he makes God known to us. He makes the father known to us. He comes close. He passes by. He passes by them in all his glory. And unlike Moses, unlike Job, they can see his face. You can see his face, the face of God, the very heart of God in Jesus Christ. Professor Michael Reeves uh, puts it this way. He said, there is no God in heaven who is unlike Jesus. 
In Christ the Word, we exchange darkness for light as we think of God. For he perfectly shows us an unsurpassably desirable God, a kind God who's against all that is wrong, a God who thaws us. And only when we see that will we truly love him. If we are to be drawn from jaded, anxious thoughts of God, we need such a knowledge of Christ every day. Not God undefined, but of Christ, the word, the one in whom all the perfections of the living God shine so brightly. So only if you know that the most powerful being in the universe is also the most loving being in the universe, only if you know that the one who calms the seas and walks on the waves is the one who died on a cross for you, can you really begin to love him and truly begin to trust him? And although you may not understand why you face the storms that you face, you may not always understand his plans, you can always trust his motives. Because it's him. If you know God to be who Jesus shows him to be, you don't have to be afraid. And these words can be for you. Take courage. It's me. I'm the one in charge. Me. Don't be afraid. And so he gets into the boat with them and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded for they did not understand about the loaves. The miracle from the last chapter or the last week, this chapter. But their hearts were hardened. So Jesus gets in the boat, the wind dies down and the disciples are like, you know, because they're starting to put the puzzle pieces together. This man is not just a man. In Matthew's telling of this story, it's at this point where they first say, truly, you are the son of God. And indeed, I mean, Jesus has been dropping some pretty large hints earlier. I mean, just in the last portion where he feeds multitudes of people in the wilderness, but their hearts were hardened. But this story... This story is good news for thick-skulled disciples like me, maybe like you. Jesus does whatever it takes and he puts his disciples wherever he needs to put them to show himself to them so they will know him, so they can know him, so they can trust him, so they can see him, so they can obey him. He's so very patient with them as he is with us. So if you are in your fourth watch of the night and obedience to Jesus these days is tormentingly difficult for you, don't give up. He will come to you. He will pass by you to show himself to you so you would know him and trust him all the more. Now, Mark gives a bit of an epilogue now to all the stories he's told about Jesus so far. Uh, The book's gonna change tone a bit in the next couple of chapters, but he wants to kind of put a bow on things for us. So verse 53, when they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore, which is the other side of the lake from where they were going, but this is where the wind most likely took them. And so they get out of the boat and the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region, began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was and wherever he came, in villages, cities, or the countryside. 
They laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many touched it, were made well. So this serves uh, for Mark as kind of the a capstone for Jesus' earthly ministry, that he ministered to the poor, the marginalized, the helpless, the sick. This is what he did. And he's so overflowing with life and power and willingness that merely touching his garment was enough to heal a person's body. How much more then at the end of the gospel of Mark would the giving of his own body, his very blood be enough to heal and save a person's soul? What I want you to see here is how willing, how able, how ready Jesus is to save and heal. A touch of his garment, it's like a reflex for him. He loves to save, he loves to heal. And let me uh, speak especially to any of our kids that are hanging in there with me today. Glad you guys are in here. Uh, I want you guys to know that I grew up as a kid in church as well. And I'm really thankful for the church that I grew up in. I learned a lot about God. This church helped me learn the Bible. Uh, but one thing that was always a bit confusing to me uh, as, as a kid is we, we heard a lot growing up about uh, getting saved and asking Jesus into your heart. And the way that I understood or was kind of taught that you did that was by really, really believing like deep, deep down in your heart of hearts that Jesus, you know, died for your sins and then you would pray a prayer. And if you really meant that prayer, if you really meant it in your heart of hearts, then Jesus would, would save you. But of course, like the trouble for me as a scrupulous uh, little kid is I never really knew if I was believing hard enough or praying good enough or being like earnest enough for Jesus to save me. And so I prayed that prayer a bunch of times, <laughs> hundreds of times trying to, to be more earnest each time. And yet I never really felt any sort of assurance or like God really saved me. I just never really felt it because I never knew if I meant it well enough or believed hard enough or whatever. But I want you to know that Jesus is not the kind of God that dangles love and forgiveness in front of you, waiting for you to pray hard enough or believe good enough. He is eager to save. He loves to save. It's what he does. It's who he is. You give him the slightest excuse to save you or heal you and he swoops in and does it. He does it for them and he'll do it for you. Jesus works with people of little faith too. And that's true for the grown-ups, not just for the kids. You see, if Jesus is God, then God is like Jesus. And so the spiritually sickest and weakest of us can reach out to him because we know how he will be toward us. He will be eager, willing, overflowing with love, with mercy, with strength for you. Do you see this? Do you see this is the face of God, the heart of God, the glory of God in Jesus Christ? Let's pray. So Lord, help our hearts to not be hardened to who you are, but to see that you've passed by us in the person of Jesus. You've shown yourself to us. 
And because you've shown yourself to us as you are, we can believe you when you tell us to take heart, to not be afraid, because it's you. Help us to hear these words, to embrace them, to be filled with courage, to trust and follow you all the more, even these trying days. And it's for your namesake we pray. Amen.